Wednesday, March 9th. Welcome to the Just Baseball Show. Today we have an awesome episode planned. We're playing general manager with the New York Mets, and there's nobody better to welcome on than the host of Locked On Mets and the managing editor for Just Baseball, Ryan Finkelstein. And we also, of course, have Aram Layton. And Aram, you just wrote an awesome article detailing the new what is it? What are we doing with Apple? I don't even understand this new deal with Apple with TV. What's going on? Yeah, so, and I'm just gonna peel back the curtain here. Here we go. We, we just ripped a record, and or we just ripped an episode and didn't record it. So I'm gonna get myself amped up about the Apple TV deal again because I actually do think it's really good. We uh, just recorded but, for 30 straight minutes without pressing the record button. So we're yes, just gonna correct. do it again. I'm we're doing so- it again. Which is all right. We're getting back into it. We're getting back into talking about fucking Apple. Yeah. Yeah. So we're talking about (laughs) Apple and I'm going to get amped about it again. Uh, But, you know, I I noticed people on Twitter after this deal was struck between Apple uh, and MLB and it's Apple TV plus their streaming service. People are like, ah, I don't know how to feel about this. I saw people being negative about it. I think it's really good. And I'll just go real quick. I'm going to do it shorter than I did the first time. So that's the good news about this. Uh, And just quick spark notes of the details of it and then why it's good. So basically real quick. It is two games a week, just on Friday. It's a Friday doubleheader that Apple TV Plus will have exclusive streaming rights to. That means that it's two less games on MLB TV. And we know that people saw that and they're like, oh no. It's 50 games total for the whole season that Apple TV will have. Out of 2,430, I believe, is how many games take place in an MLB season. Whatever 162 times 15 is. Obviously, that'll be cut short this year, most likely. But It's only 2% of games that they're really giving up here to have now a whole new audience. It's going to be streamed. They don't, they didn't say who the broadcasters are, but two games, we don't know what teams it'll be kind of revolving. Uh, And on those Fridays, you're tapping into 40 million people on this Apple TV platform that may not otherwise watch baseball. So I am very excited about that. I think it's a really good way to, to reach and outreach into new audiences that may not, you know, be watching baseball that much. MLB TV is already doing great. They had seven of their most watched days ever last season. And now like it's time to branch out a little bit and try to try to get into some new audiences. And I think this is a great way to do it. Not to mention that it is the only sport that is being streamed on Apple TV plus. So it's, it's a really big positive. And, and Ryan, I know you, you edited the article. I know from, from an editorial side, just we're always looking for positive developments in baseball and growing that audience. Uh, There's some more layers to it that we'll get into, but before I get into that, so I'm not talking for 10 minutes straight, like this is an objectively good thing for baseball, right? I I can understand the, the irony in it when owners are crying poor and they just brought in another huge deal for the league. But I mean, this is good news for trying to grow the game. hundred percent. And like you said, 40 million subscribers, um, you know, the big inning that that, they can talk about, that's going to be something that's going to be regularly on the app, not just on the Fridays. So that's going to give you, you know, a window into Major League Baseball for some of these subscribers that they didn't have. And look, it's not going to impact you if you're a a local fan of a team. You might be blacked out of a game if you can't 
find your way into Apple TV Plus if you don't want to pay for a subscription. But look, I'm sure there's a free trial that you can do for that one time your team's playing on a Friday night. Yeah. I'm sure you have a friend somewhere that has a login. So it's, you know, people who want to get mad about it, I think they're just mad at Major League Baseball as a whole. Really, to me, I don't see any downside in this deal. Yeah, and in, in our first episode of this exact episode, you know, we made this, we made the point that, you know, people get mad at MLB for not growing the game. And honestly, at some points that makes sense. But then you can't on the same side when they're actively trying to grow the game and in, and get to new audiences, then bag on them again. But you can easily bag on them. Yes. For the owners crying poor, that's where you should be bagging. That's the hilarious. Objectively good for baseball. Yeah, that's the hilarious one. Is is that the owners now more revenue coming in in the middle of these negotiations, and it's kind of ironic that we don't know how much exactly this deal was for. But Apple is a two trillion dollar company, and I'm sure they're shelling out a decent amount of money for the rights to 50 games, uh, which is not a lot, but at the same time, it is a lot. Uh, the other thing that I really like about it is, is what Ryan teased. And I think what you see on TikTok, Peter, right? Like we're encroaching on a hundred thousand followers on TikTok. I wouldn't say all of those followers are diehard baseball fans, but they care enough to tune in for highlights or quick takes or information or whatever it may be. Like, this is a great way to usher in fans, because as I mentioned, Apple TV doesn't have any other sport currently. And you have this big inning always on where it's cutting to the big spots, the Tatis Grand Slam, the Otani home run or DeGrom six straight strikeouts, whatever it is. And that's a great way to showcase the talent to people that may not be that interested in sitting down for a three hour game, but that's how you kind of welcome them in. I think it's going to be really good overall. And that's going to be going every day. So the games are on Friday, but you have the the big inning every day. And it means increased, uh, I believe, coverage on their apps, on their news app, it's just more reach for baseball for what you're giving up 2% of your MLB TV games for potentially 40 million people in your audience. That's a, a give and take that I will give up every day of the week, especially we're, on Friday. We're getting an MLB red zone. We're getting an MLB red zone. Right. The only thing is they have Scott Hansen. Who are <laughs> we going to have? Because he's a freaking legend. He is yeah. a, first of all, Q's guy played yeah. cornerback at Syracuse. Did he? he yeah. Played corner at Syracuse, corner. but I don't the who who would be the Scott Hansen? Give me a coffee and an Adderall and I'll do it. <laughs> right. Who who's the Scott Hansen? Who should be hosting? You know, who, you know who actually might be uh, sneaky good at this and an arm like this. Todd Hollinsworth. That guy's got too much energy. <laughs> throw throw, <laughs> throw him on the big inning. Well, you, yeah, I you would know love what? Dallas Braden. He's on the market. Dallas He's a, would be great. Oh, is he a free agent? They let Hollinsworth's him go? a free agent. Oh, poor guy. He was such a fanboy. What do you guys uh, think about uh, Dallas Braden? He's one of my favorites. Oh, yeah, bigger one. Braden would be great for that, too. He would be great for that, too. That's a guy that just loves the game. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see who they have do it. Uh, knowing baseball, they might have just, like, an absolute snooze fest dude doing it or or whoever. But um, I really hope it's not just some snooze. I really yeah. hope they make it fun. Jack McMullen would be a great candidate for that thing. Jack McMullen would be a phenomenal candidate for that thing. So – We're playing general manager with the New York Mets today. And again, on the first recording of this, I asked Ryan, and it's funny because people are going to be listening to this and be like, what first recording? What the hell are they talking about? But we recorded for 30 minutes prior to this and then didn't press record. So we're kind of doing it again. We're going different lanes here. So Ryan, I asked, who is the Mets hater? Because our guy, Adam Fryfield, he calls Arm and Jack Mets haters. I'd like to say that I'm not a Mets hater. I'm, I'm pretty confident in this team moving forward in 2022 because if not now, when, but who would you say is the 
the Mets hater on the pod? And is it arm? It is arm. And, and, it's the most yeah, loaded I, question I've ever heard. <laughs> yeah, I can't blindside him with that that grudge I had uh, a couple months ago. He now heard he he heard me bring it to light. But yeah, you know, he had some comments about how the Mets always mishandle their pitchers and. You know, how is Noah Syndergaard at the big league level at the end of the season without a slider, only throwing fastballs and changeups? Fair criticism, but, you know, to say it's all the Mets' fault, I don't know. It felt like there was a little bit of animosity that was leading his takes. I'm not sure. And you know, Arm, I didn't defend Marlo. you on our first recording, but I will defend you now. Your prospect write-ups of the Mets have been fantastic. They have been great. You've been very high on a lot of these Mets See, prospects. I, I, I will remove I – I can be an unbiased journalist. I can. And Francisco Alvarez, as we'll talk about, is in my top five. He's in our Just Baseball top five. And I love Mark Vientos. Like, he's related to me. So, I, I mean, I, I love these Mets prospects. What I will say, though, is I just thought it was the weirdest thing ever that Noah Syndergaard could just – you can pitch, but you can't throw sliders? <laughs> like, just don't pitch then. Like, what's the point of that? I thought the DeGrom stuff – I don't know how okay. much of it was just Jacob DeGrom saying, I'll do what I want, and I'm pitching if I want, blah, blah, blah. But I thought that was mishandled. Like, I, I don't think it's a coincidence. You see Matt Harvey, that was a situation that probably could have been handled better. I know arm issues are rampant throughout baseball, but uh, these plaguing injuries seem to be a little bit more frequent with these New York Mets. That's all I got to say. What I, I will also say is that I hate the Marlins. So I don't think you can pick the Mar. <laughs> you can't use the Marlins thing against me anymore. I, I actually dislike them. I, I go Mets, but um, I will say I am a little bit more critical of the Mets. I have been critical of Steve Cohen, but, but this lockout has made me appreciate Steve Cohen. I'll say that because Steve Cohen's maybe the only guy who doesn't want the game locked out. One of the few owners and actually would probably be for upping the CBT. So <laughs> you know what, Steve Cohen, be cringy, give your locker room pep talks and do all that shit. Uh, but you know what? At least he gives a shit about the game. So on base and slugging numbers don't lie when it comes to Steve Cohen. So before we the talk, on, it was the on base and OPS numbers. I think yeah, he said yeah, something you looked yeah, to find yeah. It didn't make sense. It didn't add up. And I get it. So let's talk about the 2021 season for these New York Mets. So they opened up the 2021 season with a lot of promise. Vegas tagged them as a 90 win team based on their win projection, but they fell to 77 and 85, finishing third in the NL East. On July 30th, trade deadline day. The Mets were in first place in the division. Jacob deGrom looked like the best pitcher to ever throw off a mound, but they were only one of three teams with less than 400 runs scored to that point and had a negative one run differential. But the Mets said, screw it, and they went for it. And you can't really blame them. The division looked winnable, and with a better second half from that offense, anything was possible. And Javi Baez, their addition on trade deadline day, was great in a Mets uniform. But you traded away Pete Crow Armstrong, a very talented young prospect, for the current second baseman for the Detroit Tigers. And as a whole, they were just a below-average team in 2021. Offensively, they finished 16th in WRC+, 27th in runs scored, and 20th in batting average. Francisco Lindor had his worst year to date, and guys like Dom Smith, Michael Conforto, Jeff McNeil all took major steps back. DeGrom went down with the forearm strain, but the pitching held up pretty well over the entirety of the season. The starting rotation finished 8th in ERA and 10th in FIP, and the bullpen finished 9th in ERA and FIP. But now, this team has the second-best odds to win the World Series behind the Dodgers in the National League, and they've already made 
four major signings. So let's get back to work and make the Mets a World Series team for the first time since 2015. And I'll start with those four moves because the offseason has been great so far for the New York Mets. They signed Max Scherzer, they signed Starling Marte, they signed Eduardo Escobar, and they signed Mark Canna to bolster that outfield. So let's start, Ryan, with your favorite signing of the four. Uh, it's going to be the Starling Marte signing. Uh, you know, Max Scherzer is the biggest name and, uh, you know, obviously that's going to be the one that they're marketing and selling to the fans. And he's going to be front and center when, when this team finally gets to, to open up their season. But Starling Marte was not only a, a great addition, but a great contract, in my opinion, they got him on a pretty, you know, friendly deal. I think there are some that are projecting he might make even more than that. When we were heading into the off season, I was writing a ton of stuff for just baseball about how Starling Marte should be their top priority. They had to address their outfield. They do that with two moves and Marte and Canna to replace Michael Conforto. So I think the combination is just an outstanding upgrade overall. And then even the Escobar signing was solid as well to get to add another power bat to the middle of their lineup. So I, I really like the four additions. They added three starting players into their lineup and they added the guy that's been the best pitcher in baseball for the past decade. So solid offseason up to this point. I mean, I loved the, I mean, it's impossible to, to say anything negative about four years, 78 million for starring Marte, who it was, I, I always try to remind people how darn good he was last year between two different teams too. And not to mention, you know, it's not like city field is, is a bandbox. I mean, it's, it leans pitchers park, but two of the biggest pitchers parks uh, that he was playing in, in, in Lone Depot in Miami, and then going to Oakland and, you know, 12 home runs. Typically he's a little bit closer to the 20 range, but he made up for that with tying his career high in stolen bases, hitting a ton of doubles, hitting for 310 batting average, which was the second highest of his career. I mean, he was just good in every facet, highest WRC plus of his career, elite defense and center field. And I mean, the 5.5 F war in 120 games, I was trying to like really explain this to people for a while when I, when I was trying to explain for the Marlins to, to pony up and, and pay him. That puts him in the top 10, actually ninth in position players in F war while playing about 25 to 30 less games than everybody else. So if you scale it out proportionately, he would have been in the top five with the Juan Soto's, Vlad Guerrero Jr.'s, Trey Turner's of the world uh, at the top, Fernando Tatis as well. I mean, that's where he was production and value wise. What a signing that was uh, for the Mets. And again, yeah, not for this game changing amount of money like Scherzer. And he's a freak in the gym. We saw it yeah. firsthand with those pictures yeah. of him on the horse shirtless. I mean, he looked like a Greek God out there. Yeah. Holy um, so, so I think I, I agree. I think it's just gonna, I think it's going to turn into one of these really good contracts. And I think he's going to be super, super good, especially next year for the well, New York Mets. If, if you look at like the ceiling of this offense, to me, the thing that jumps out is you have Marte and Nemo atop your lineup. Both of them are going to get on base at a 380 plus clip with Pete Alonso in there. Like Pete's going to have some traffic on the bases when he hits his home runs. I, I see a lot of three run homers in Pete Alonso's future this season. Do you think Pete Alonso is going to hit third or do you think Lindor is going to third? I think Lindor will probably hit third. I, I think they'll, they'll go kind of traditional cleanup hitter with Alonso, but I could also see if Lindor struggles to start the year, them quickly switching that and moving Pete up to third. You also forgot about Robinson Cano. Maybe he can play. Maybe he'll hit third this year. Or you, you know what? Robinson you know, Cano's Cano's sneaky good I, I, 2020 season, you know, yeah. you never know. He was really, he's been really good in the Dominican winter league. Hit for no power though. No power at all, but he, he did it juice. for average. He's up, but now he's probably back on it. I know that's great. I yeah, know. that is really good news that they're and, not testing for roids right now. 
And Mark Hanna was kind of the, the guy who was seen as the most underrated signing because we all know that he's a really good player and we're going to talk about him too, but just quickly about Eduardo Escobar. And this is a power bat. And this is a guy who will most likely be the starting third baseman because J.D. Davis is J.D. Davis. And you don't want J.D. Davis playing third base for your starting. You don't want him playing on your team if you want to make to the playoffs because he's just not that guy. You know, maybe he'd be great in the Colorado Rockies. I bet he would. But Eduardo oh, Escobar is a guy who had 35 home runs in 2019 and 28 home runs in 2021 between Arizona Diamondbacks and the Milwaukee Brewers. This is a great power bat. And I'm excited to see where he slots into the lineup because I think he could be that six, seven hitter that maybe would be a five hitter on a good team, but he makes that lineup just that much deeper. So I also think the Eduardo Escobar signing was a great one. Yeah. To me, you know, I, I think it's just a massive upgrade over Jonathan VR. Um, and and I, I said before, it, it's the clubhouse thing that, that really is a big reason that, that they went after Escobar. Starling Marte even mentioned Escobar as like one of the reasons he signed and they only played together for what, like a couple weeks at the beginning of the 2020 season, but he had that kind of an impact on him. So I look at Escobar as just a big upgrade, someone who's going to hit those home runs. I think he's not, it's it, like defensively, he's not great. Um, it's, you know, I think if you look at his WRC plus, he's always right around hundred to one ten. Like he I wouldn't expect, yeah. yeah, yeah. I wouldn't expect too much from him, but when you have so many on base guys already, they needed some pop. So if you pair him with Canna and Marte as signings, they kind of all give you what you're looking for to put together a really competent lineup. And so basically what you're saying is he will make sure there's no raccoons in, in the clubhouse or in the tunnel. Yes. Yeah. Yes, exactly. He's going to try to uh, try to be like the pest control out there. And he's a squirrel kind of broke up the entire locker room. Was it a squirrel or was it animal. a raccoon? I don't know. Was it a squirrel you, raccoon? You're referring to the fact that Jeff McNeil's nickname is the squirrel. And hey, he was potentially... what, was, what was the actual, I thought <laughs> it was a squirrel though. What, no, what, no. Were, Lindor, what were Lindor and McNeil? It, it, was, uh, it was a rat or a raccoon. Yeah. Uh-huh. Okay. And, and I got to say that was like the most awkward series of press conferences <laughs> you'll ever see because for one, like Lindor, that was when he probably finally realized he's not dealing with Cleveland media anymore because he, he tries to pass that off like a real story. You know, hey, it's a rat, a raccoon. We didn't know what it was. It's like everyone saw you guys were fighting in the clubhouse. You're not fooling anyone. And then poor Jeff McNeil has to be asked about whether it's a rat or a raccoon. He, he played it off. But, yeah, it was it was a, a ridiculous uh, story and uh, one very fitting for the Mets. And I don't have my handy dandy iPad like Jack McMullen might. So I don't have anything to hold up for YouTube, but I do have the fan graphs right behind my computer right here with the entire depth chart. But before we get into the depth chart or move, you know, move players between this Mets team grades for this off season so far, I would give them an A minus currently. I think you could easily give them an A. I've loved all the signings. They've just spent a ton of money so far. Ryan, you're giving them an A or an A minus or what do you think? Yeah, I mean, I think it just really depends on what they do on the other side of the lockout because there is still moves to be made. They have to add another starter. They still haven't replaced Aaron Loop in their bullpen. But for now, with the, the limited time they had to address their team and all the moves they made, it's definitely an A. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm thinking when you look at the rotation, uh, there's definitely some depth that needs to be answered there. But assuming they do that on the other side, it's it's got to be an A. I mean, uh, you go big and just spend money. And it, it, it's hard to give an A when a team just shells out money and just signs the best player available. But the Mets didn't just do that. They also got value deals in Mark Canna and Eduardo Escobar. So I think they balanced a little bit of just shelling out the cash and also getting good value deals. Even Marte as well uh, was a good value deal 
Uh, so I, I think they did a really good job uh, this off season, but of, of course that's a little bit easier when uh, you have a blank check uh, that's always ready to go. So let's move forward to 2022 and we'll start with the catching position. So right now the starting catcher is James McCann with Thomas Nito backing him up and Thomas Nito is a guy who has sparked a lot of love on TikTok for his incredible framing metrics, but I don't know if he's the actual option for the Mets in 2022. Ryan, how do you see the catcher position kind of ending up next year? Yeah, you know, it's 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 a countdown to Francisco Alvarez finally being able to help out this backstop because it's it's not a, a good combination. I hated the James McCann signing last offseason. They paid him off of a 2020 season that was 60 games and the first half of 2019 when he was an all-star before really being the same catcher he was with the Tigers in the second half that year. Uh, so I don't love that. I don't love the Mets having for three more years, but he's going to be the starter and, and you'll see if he can, you know, bounce back and, and tap into some of that power he showed with the White Sox. Um, and, and I think that the the bottom line is you, I watched Wilson Ramos catch for a couple of years and that was an absolute disaster behind the plate. So you actually have catchers that can make tags on plays at the plate and can actually catch the baseball, which was tough for Wilson Ramos. So I think defensively they have a good pairing of catchers here and uh, you know, they're going to bat eighth or ninth. And I don't think their bats going to be counted on very much. And Arm, we've reached the part of the podcast where we get to cue you in on the prospects and you're about yeah. to drop your top 100 on just baseball.com. And you said Francisco Alvarez might be in the top five. Why is he so exciting? Yeah, I mean, you don't, you just don't see catchers who are as athletic and explosive as as Alvarez is in the box, especially. I mean, the upside there is crazy. Um, and as Ryan mentioned uh, it, when we were talking earlier, that he says he wants to get up, you know, to the big leagues this year. Probably not realistic, but I mean, he is such a freak that I think anything is possible. Uh, but more likely, looking at it midway through 2023. So you just got to get through this year if you're the Mets. Uh, with the current catching situation, both are good defensively, McCann and Nito. So I think you just got to get through. Uh, your offense is so good that you can give up a little bit of production at a position where every team almost is giving up production aside from the very few that are lucky to have good offensive catchers. And I mean, Alvarez is is the potential has the potential to be the best catcher in baseball, right? I think it, there's a very likely scenario where five years from now, Adley Rutschman, Gabriel Moreno and Francisco Alvarez are battling it out. And I would say Alvarez physically is arguably the most gifted of all of them. So I think that kind of puts it all in perspective. Uh, the Mets have something special uh, in the pipeline right there with Alvarez. And Arm and I were able to see Francisco Alvarez at the Futures game in Colorado. And he taps me on the shoulder and he says, hey, you got to watch this Francisco Alvarez kid. He's only 19, but he's one of the best catchers in the minor leagues already. And I look at him. And he looks like he has catcher's gear under his baseball pants. He looks like a freak of nature already. So I put my eyes on him like, oh, he's got an impressive build. And pow, absolutely low liner over the left field wall immediately. And that just goes to show this type of power that he had because it wasn't just some lofty home run like arm. It was a low liner that just scraped the wall, probably went out of the ballpark at, what, 115 miles an hour? It was, it was a rocket. It was a rocket. And I was saying like, it literally could take off the hat of the left fielder. It just seemed like it did not get high off the ground at all. And that's just a testament to the, the kind of exit velocity he puts up the power, but the bat to ball skills are pretty nuts too. And then not to mention defensively, he's good back there and he's getting better and better. It's only 20. 
the Mets have every reason to be excited about this guy. You don't want to block him. You just got to get through this year. And I mean, McCann and Nito can be good enough, especially if they're doing it defensively. Yeah, we're not signing any free agents. We're not trading for Carson Kelly. We're not trading for Wilson Contreras. We're going with James McCann and Thomas Nito. And then we're just waiting on the Francisco Alvarez show to start. So let's move forward to first base. And I'm actually happy to say this is now the part of the podcast that we didn't record yet. So this is all new information. (laughs) I'm excited. First base, we're starting with Pete Alonso, who I think could lead the major leagues in home runs. I think he's due for an incredible year. He had a great year last year. And Ryan, you were saying with Starling Marte and Brandon Nimmo leading off and possibly Lindor, Again, having a bounce back, there's going to be a lot of bases loaded opportunities for Pete Alonso. How hyped are you for him for next year? I, I've said since they made the signings that I really think that Pete Alonso, if not leading the league in home runs, because that's tough. I think he's going to lead the league in RBIs. I think that the Mets are going to have that much traffic in front of him. He's just going to be able to clean up. And, and you look at the season he had. I mean, he was really solid. He, he got off to a rough start, but this guy basically for the majority of his career homers, like every 15 at bats, he's just an elite power hitter. I'm pretty sure he's leading the league. If you go back to 2019, I don't think anyone's hit more home runs uh, since then than Pete Alonso, obviously the 53 in his rookie season really does carry that. But yeah, it's everything is setting up for a monster season for Pete Alonso. I would not even be surprised if he could like sneak into like a top five MVP voting because the numbers could be that insane. And his backup, and who might play some DH this year, maybe some outfield, Dom Smith, did not have a good year last year. 244, 304 on base, 363 slugging, only 11 home runs. Just a major drop-off. Aram, and Ryan, you can even answer, of course, you can answer this as well. Do you see Dom Smith regaining any of the form that he had in 2020 or even 2019? I think he can. I just don't think it's with the Mets. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I, I still believe in, in his ability. He's still only 26 years old. Uh, you know, I, I just look at what, what he brings to the table and I don't really see how it makes any sense for the Mets. Uh, especially if he was somebody that crushed righties, then I'd say, okay, you can platoon him. He doesn't really, he's, he's a guy that really reverse is reverse splits lefty yeah. lefty doesn't have a defensive home. Uh, that, you know, he's, it's not like he's versatile. It's more like, where do we stick him? I, I think if, if I'm the Mets, I'm, I'm looking to probably move him and, and just get a little bit of a prospect return here, build the system up a little bit, especially since you're able to spend money now to build, you don't have to make all these trades. I would make a move for a team that's looking for a jolt and, and see what happens. But I think that there's no reason really for the Mets to hold on to Dom Smith at this point. Uh, he's just not, he deserves more ABs somewhere else because of his potential and what he's shown. And he's just not going to get them with the Mets. And he doesn't serve much of a platoon role. He's got to be an everyday guy if it's going to work out for him. Yeah. I think right now, if you're talking about the players most likely moved after the lockout, it's Dominic Smith, it's JD Davis and it's Jeff McNeil. All three of them have been rumored all offseason to be on the block. Jeff McNeil is the one that I don't think they should trade uh, at all. I think this is not the right time. Uh, unless that clubhouse rumbling about him and Lindor unable to play together, if that's really real and, and there, there's no mending that fence, I guess you have to do what you have to do. But to me, I think if you're being a winning team, I think guys can get over that stuff pretty quickly. So I, I look at JD and Dom, and I think that both of them are pretty likely to be moved. Um, and then at first base, if they, they still have plenty of coverage, even if they deal those guys, 
Mark Vientos can play some first base next year. Mark Canna can play first base next year. Robinson Cano, Eduardo Escobar. It's And Pete Alonso is probably going to play 155 games anyway. So I, I don't think that they really have to do anything to address the position, but I do think that they will address it. And I, I think Dom is likely on the move either for prospects or like an arm in the bullpen. I'm excited to talk about some trades later because Ryan, I bet you've been dreaming up some trades now for a while, but let's move on to the second base position as well. Because right now, guy we've been talking about jeff mcneil and also luis kiorme can can uh, throw his hat in the ring yep. and he's kind of a goat he, he's got some of the smoothest hands he's you know, when so you go to a baseball game and you watch these big league guys take infield outfield or they're just taking ground balls like it's just butter with I luis kiorme love- but luis kiorme hit 265 last year with a 374 on base percentage he, dude he's, he's been good since the like second that. half of since the second half of 2019 this guy has been really good he gives you a great at bat like He's going to see seven pitches every at bat. He just goes up there. He works counts. He gets walks. He finds holes. He's not going to hit for power. Obviously he's a throwback though. Like, like Louis Guillaume, if you go back to like, like 1995, he would have just been your second baseman. You wouldn't even thought about it. He'd be batting second in your lineup. <laughs> like, like that's Might be a hall of famer. <laughs> it, it, it's funny too. He's always been that way. I, I played him in high school down here in South Florida. And you know, like everybody was like, Oh yeah, this guy Guillaume can play, but it wasn't a matter of, oh, he can take you deep at any moment. I don't think he had any home runs. <laughs> Maybe he had one because uh, where he played, the field was pretty big. But he hit like 570. It was like you knew you weren't going to get him out. You're just trying to keep him to a single. And that was basically it. And that's kind of what he is now. Like He's a guy that's going to grind ABs. And if that's your guy off the bench, you know he's not going to give you power, but he's going to grind at bats. He's going to play good defense. That's your your ideal, ideal utility guy off the bench. So I feel like you have to feel really good about having Guillaume backing up basically third, second, uh, even first, worst case scenario. He can kind of play all over. Um, that's that's a great bench guy. Ryan, you had a great tweet about Jeff McNeil, about the fact that there's almost no way that he doesn't bounce back and that he's maintained a 300 average now for every single year of his career, except last year. But last year, he was 251, 319 on base percentage, 360 slugging, almost no power. What happened to Jeff McNeil? It's so weird. I, you know, I've done a lot of different shows trying to like break it down and it's tough because it's not like he started striking out a bunch. It's not like, like that, like the walks dipped or anything. It's not like he was getting into any different counts. He just, just seriously wasn't barreling up anything. He just wasn't hitting the baseball. It's, it's, it's so strange. It's hard to really give an exact answer as to what happened. I will say to go through his season, you had the first month where everyone in the lineup was struggling he starts to come out of it in May, pulls his hamstring. He's out until the end of June, has a great July, and then for whatever reason falls off a cliff in the final two months. I, I, I don't know exactly what happened with Jeff McNeil, but like the tweet you referenced, from 2018 through 2020, Jeff McNeil hit 319. That's the highest batting average in baseball. I, I'm not giving up on him off of one down year, especially because what would you get if you even traded him right now off of that down year? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, give me the 300 games almost of, of good baseball versus the 120 games of bad baseball where it was contagious from top to bottom. Yep. And, you know, we've seen we've seen some stories written and, and I've even you know heard that there was some issues just with the Mets approach. They got very analytical last year. I think, you know, Ryan, you've probably read some stuff on this from local writers. They went very heavy on on and I believe they, they fired their hitting coach and everything. Right. Yeah, they, they went really heavy on the analytical side. And I think it was paralyzing to a lot of these guys. It, they were almost uh, micromanaging every at bat. And I just think it's it's too much to be a coincidence 
with all of these guys struggling, right? If, if it was one or two, I'm like, okay, you know, it's maybe the clubhouse. These guys have a down year. I mean, it was everybody. It was, it was literally everybody struggling or not playing to the best of their abilities, just about uh, aside from, you know, Alonzo and maybe one or two other guys. So I, I really think that that plays a huge part in it. And I'm expecting almost all of them to bounce back to a certain degree, but McNeil, I mean, when you do what he did for the first almost 300 games of his career, I mean, the, that the proof's in the, in the pudding, I'll, I'll lean on that. And, and I think he'll find a way next year. He's just too talented bat to ball wise. And there's still a small possibility that the Mets do trade him, but I don't want to trade. Him. Like when we're playing general manager, I don't want to trade him. He should be the starting second baseman. And I totally agree with the both of you. I think he's going to hit 300 next year. I still think he's one of the best bat to ball guys in the entire league. So let's move on to shortstop a guy who is getting paid a decent amount of money. And, but he hit 230. OBP of 322, slugging of 412, hit you 20 bombs, stole you 10 bags, but he was still one of the best gloves out of anybody in the entire game. That's Francisco Lindor. I don't think we have to say anything else about him. I mean, maybe just like, do you, Ryan, do you have any explanation of what might have happened? Why didn't we see the regular Francisco Lindor? The thing is, if you look at his numbers from June 1st on, it's pretty close to the regular Lindor. He had a terrible start and you know what I, it, it reminds me a lot of Carlos Beltran's first year with the Mets in 2005 you look at his numbers Beltran was barely above and above average hitter that season and then 2006 the guy you know maybe should have won the MVP he was he was awesome so I think it takes some time for these guys particularly coming from small markets like Kansas City with Beltran or Cleveland for Lindor to adjust to playing in New York and then to also not only do with the adjustment of that but then on the eve of the season he signs the $341 million contract. Talk about pressure going yeah. into a year. You got to live up to this massive deal. You're supposed to be like this new savior of a franchise. I, I think all, all that got to him. He was so bad the first two months of the season. Uh, I mean, he I mean, blew the Mendoza line for, I mean, the first, what, 40, 50 games. So it's, if you look at the numbers, if you throw out those first two months, he was a lot closer to what he's been. I mean, think about it, Arm. Think about he it, Arm. Giancarlo oh, Stanton yeah. moving no, over no, to the New York yeah. Yankees. Like that was kind of the same thing. We're coming over from Miami and didn't really have a hot start with the Yankees either. You psychopaths booed him in his first game. Well, yeah, we're <laughs> psychopaths. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not defending us. I'm just saying it took a little Giancarlo Stanton a little bit. To I know, no, no, it's, it's small totally market true. to the Yankees, Francisco Lindor from Cleveland to the Absolutely. New York Mets. I, I just, the reason why I don't think we have to go that far into him because I think he's going to bounce back and be completely normal again next year. I think he's still awesome. I think he's still one of the top five shortstops in the entire game. No, absolutely. You're right about the small market to big market thing. And Cleveland to, to New York is big. Miami to New York is even worse, I think, uh, especially on the baseball side of things. Uh, Stanton got acclimated and got comfortable, but there was, there was points for him. Lindora, the, the irony in it for me is that, you know, he took the 341 uh, to, to send a message. So like you asked for it, you know, you asked for it. So uh, I'm, I'm interested to see how Lindor performs this year. I think he's extremely, extremely talented. Uh, it is a little unsettling that it comes after a 2020 that was a little bit down. Uh, but uh, as Ryan said, I mean, finished strong 118 WRC plus over the second half. Uh, you still got to be better than that for what he's getting paid. Uh, but I think, you know, with this loaded lineup, uh, don't forget, there was times where Lindor was like the only good hitter in that lineup when they were really decimated. It'd be like Lindor, Pete, and everybody else was hurt. Loaded lineup, if they're all healthy, I think the pressure's off of Lindor a little bit too to have to do it all himself. So I think he's going to have a great year. Moving yeah, on. To, 
Yeah, no, I, I don't ahead. think I was gonna say I don't think that like I'm not expecting Lindor to post like a 130 WRC plus. Like I'm not expecting that. But if it's if it's 118, 120, and he's giving you Gold Glove defense with the team that you have, be it's fine. I, I get that he might not live up to the contract, but yeah. to me, it, it, the contract doesn't really matter. It, it's just it's it's Steve Cohen's Mets. It's that it's kind of gonna come with it. Some of these guys nice. are gonna Ryan. Yeah. Ryan, I don't I don't even believe you, dude. There is no way you're gonna be okay. If Lindor has a 118 WRC plus for the next couple of years and plays Gold Glove defense, you didn't pay 341 million for that. I don't think he did. I mean, honestly, you look at his career. That's for the most part, he's kind of been in that range. What's his career WRC plus? I think that's pretty online with what he's been. I, I, I'm just saying. Look, uh, I I watched some pretty bad shortstops play for the Mets across yeah. my life. Like again, I've seen Wilmer Flores get you know, playoff games at shortstop on a team that went to the world series, but he cried when he thought he was traded. I mean, Hey, I love flow, but he just shouldn't have been playing shortstop. He should have been playing second base or first base, but to answer your question, 117 career WRC plus really. Yeah. yeah. It's huh. the glove. He, he got paid more for the Is glove. He than not the bat. good. Is he not, not good? good? <laughs> I mean, he's still leading. Like, I know. I think if you look at at war, he's still been the best shortstop in baseball throughout his career. So 32 I, I, F war at this yeah. point, 902 games is crazy. Yeah. He's probably going to be a hall of famer one day. He might so? be. Yeah. He has to play a little better than last year, but if he does, yeah. Well, we know that he's definitely going to be slotted in for as many games as we could possibly play in the 2022 season. So let's move on to third base because no, there's a lot of prospects. Even. That we should talk about as well. Yeah, you say 60. All 60 of them. Damn it. Shut up. Third base. <laughs> moving on. We got the new signing, Eduardo Escobar, who I'm pretty excited about. Moving into his age 33 season. Um, you also got J.D. Davis there, 29 years old. J.D. Davis is funny, though. 285, 384, 436. He does hit. He just cannot defend. And then beyond that, I mean, Giorme is probably going to get some playing time a little bit over at third base, but we are all really excited about Brett Beatty and Mark Vientos. Arm, mm-hmm. I'm going to throw that one over to you because you love these guys. Yeah, so I think Vientos, and I know uh, Ryan's been campaigning on Locked on Mets big time to, to get Vientos some some run this year at the DH spot. I mean, the, the power there is is just – it's top in the minor leagues. I'd put him in the top 10 in terms of power in the minor leagues, probably even better than that. And he's shown that he can hit high VLO. He's hit breaking balls. He hit all the way up through AAA. He's pretty close to ready. I think a couple months into the season, if he's mashing through AAA, you got to call that guy up. Um, especially if you're not getting production from Cano or whoever else might be eating up some of those DH at-bats. Vientos is special and just about ready. Beatty's a little bit further behind just because I want to see him get the ball in the air a bit more, but he's got a great approach. Uh, the power's starting to shine through. He was great in the fall league. I'm more curious, Ryan, like obviously the DH route is the way that we would see Vientos kind of break through, but is there really a scenario where we see Beatty break through this year, assuming that Escobar is healthy? Yeah, I think it would have to be some combination of injuries or if they were to, let's just say they did end up trading a Jeff McNeil, um, you know, Escobar could slide over to second. That would be another path. I would maybe see that would put Beatty up there, but I think that Beatty's more likely for next season. I think that they're going to let him develop. I'd be surprised if they, they made that jump. It, it, again, it would have to be because of a bunch of circumstances that would have to unfold there. I agree. Let's move on to the outfield. The outfield's pretty loaded and it's pretty set up with Brandon Nemo in right field, Starling Marte in center field, and Mark Canna in left field. 
I don't think we got to do anything. They did it all for our, for themselves. And then you got Dom Smith. You could throw in an outfield spot as well. My only thing is the bench is not super deep. The bench is not super deep because um, Dom Smith, you might trade him. J.D. Davis, you might trade him. Luis Guillorme is your infielder. And then you have Thomas Nito. Besides that, there's not a ton of depth here. Are you nervous about that at all? Um, I, I think they have some depth with, with the prospects and Khalil Lee and Nick Plummer. That's going to give them, you know, a couple of fourth outfielder options. One of the things that when I had Arm on my show uh, last to talk about the top prospects, we were going through that. And because of the way the roster is presently constructed, they don't have room for those guys on their bench because bench spots are being taken up by J.D. Davis, Dominic Smith, Robinson Cano and others. So I, I think it's going to necessitate a trade to clear up a spot for one of those guys. But to me, those are your fourth outfielders this year. Those are the type of guys that are athletic, that can play every position and that can provide some real upside. Oh, you forget too. I mean, the Mets did just bring back Janeshwi Fargus. Yeah, that's right. That's there. It's really exciting. Uh, <laughs> but now clearly, clearly he's got offensive upside could be probably one of the more exciting fourth outfielders out there in terms of power, potential and ability to get on base. I love Nick Plummer too. Uh, so you figure one of those guys will be able to contribute. Um, yeah. I mean, there, there's definitely a level of what does the bench look like? And if, if one of those guys struggles, you have the other one kind of waiting um, but we saw how quickly, if you have some injuries, things can get decimated, but I'm more worried on the depth side of things on the pitching staff. And I know we're going to get there soon. That's what I was saying. I, I think we're good. I know it's lame, but what are we going to do this offense? Well, what's it's, funny it's though, is it, the Mets though, didn't show Walter come out and say that they're open to adding more outfielders or adding another yeah. outfielder. Why? I, my assumption is that maybe they're thinking about making Mark Canna the DH would, would be the only reason you would add another outfitter. Like I saw something about Showalter still kind of hinting at Michael Conforto being an option for the Mets still, which I just don't see. I don't see that happening because for one, I feel like Conforto is going to have a pretty healthy market. And also if you're really trying to hold on to your draft picks, why wouldn't you want the comp pick you're going to get back when yeah. Conforto signs with another team. So I don't necessarily see that. I also don't really see why they would add an outfielder. Like, Showalter said that, but to me, it doesn't make any sense. Like the, the, I think the roster's fine. Not to mention, you can just as easily, if one of them goes down, slide Jeff McNeil right back into the outfield where he's, he's above average offensively as well. So I think they're fine. And I mean, but there are, there are a lot of outfielders currently available, but I agree. I don't want to take them. And it's like, what does Tommy Pham really do for you? I, no. You know, I'd rather see what Khalil Lee like Jock Peterson could make sense as just like a playoff performer or a fun guy who'll sell tickets. But I still, I, I don't. F- think I that's feel like the right those move. guys, those are those guys are available at the deadline if you need them. You know what exactly. I mean? Like, I, I give the kids kids some run in the beginning, and if you have to make a move like that, you make a move like that midseason. And where are they at in terms of the payroll? Because they're always at the highest, and I know possibly <laughs> I the today was at the highest. I, I think it's two seventy one right now, or something like that. Oh. Right now, I'm looking at it. I see it at 236 million. Is that before the ARB guys, though? It might be before, might be the, before ARB the ARB guys. So, what we do know is that we can kind of spend as much money as we kind of want to because Steve Cohen has the biggest bank account in the. Is he the richest owner in the history of baseball? Yeah. He is? Is that actually confirmed? I mean, he's the richest owner now, and I don't know why there would have been one previously who was richer. You know That's what I mean? Point. <laughs> uh, so they they have they have after potential penalties and everything, two hundred eighty four million potentially. But mm. before uh, the competitive balance payroll would be two sixty four, uh, which is crazy, <laughs> absolutely crazy. Uh, but who cares? 
uh, not, not anybody's problem. I, I said, like, he's got to be the only guy that's upset about the lockout because he's actually spending money is, and I, I apologized actually. So I might as well do that one again, real quick. Um, I I've been very harsh on Steve Cohen uh, because he is cringy and likes to give pep talks to players uh, in the locker room and then tweet about it, which is super cringy, but you know what? This lockout has really made me frustrated with owners. I think all of us frustrated with owners and Steve Cohen's the only guy that isn't crying poor and is or one of the few and is willing to invest into the team and have success. And uh, so I will take that any day of the week. Steve Cohen continue to be cringy and tweet weird stuff fine by me because at least he is doing right by the game of baseball. So just the on, throw that the in on base numbers and the OPS numbers. They did yeah. in that up for him. The on base yeah. and OPS numbers are great. He combined them. So let's talk about the pitching staff at the top of it. Pretty set in stone. You got the greatest pitcher who's, who's, who's living currently right now. And you have maybe the second best pitcher at all of baseball in back shirts. Maybe not better than Corbin Burns or Garrett Cole, but he's within the top he's five. He's he's in the top 10. He's one of the best pitchers at all of baseball. And I know he's 37. Don't really care. I'm actually more worried about Jacob DeGrom's health rather than Max Scherzer. I mean, can I just read you Jacob DeGrom's stats again? He had a 1.08 ERA in 106 innings, or 92 innings, excuse me, and struck out 146 hitters. What should we expect from Jacob DeGrom? Do you think that we're going to get 200 innings from Jacob DeGrom? Like if I gave you Ryan and Arm, I gave you 160 innings over under. Oof. That's a good. That's a good line there. Under and I hope I'm wrong. Under and I hope I'm wrong. You know, the one thing I'll say about Jacob DeGrom is it wasn't, it was an injury plug year. Don't get me wrong, but you look at his career. It's not like he has been injured throughout his career. Like there was an injury at the end of 2016, but I think he's made like 25 starts almost every single year. So he has proven to be durable in the past, but this past season was really concerning, especially because it was just every, between every start, there was always kind of something lingering there and a bunch of different injuries. He got hurt swinging a couple times, so maybe uh, with the DH that doesn't happen this season. But uh, yeah, it's it's tough for me to say over confidently, but I will say over on 160 because we talked about him on not gambling advice when we were ranking fantasy pitchers, and he was not our number one overall pitcher. He was more like six or seven because Colby and I just had that worry. But to your point, you're right. He's not a guy who's dealt with injuries his entire career, but at the end of the day, he's. 33 going on 34, still throwing 102 miles an hour, which the human body can't even fathom. That's why he's, his forearm straight because his forearm is like, how can you put this much force on a baseball? Like, well, stop. You know what's crazy, though? Like, you know how DeGrom has described the, the, the uptick in velocity? He stopped trying to throw hard. He started to trust his mechanics more. He just has these That's perfect gross. mechanics with this natural <laughs> whipping motion. And it just causes him to, oh, yeah, now I'm, now I'm just regularly dropping one-on-one. And, and, and it's amazing to watch him attack hitters because he'll start a game and just throw 30 straight fastballs and just be like, all right, you guys can't touch it anyway, so I'm just going to come right after you. Uh, the game is so much better when the guy's on the mound, so hopefully he's healthy this year. Well, I'm, I'm kind of mad that we won't get to see him hit. I'm a big <laughs> proponent of the DH, but I, I was saying, I was telling you guys before, like I'm all for if DeGrom is on the bump, DH for Thomas Nito. And let DeGrom swing it. I know he got hurt swinging it, so you can't. But, like, legitimately, I think DeGrom's a better offensive player. Yeah, like maybe in the playoffs, if DeGrom has been healthy all year, like when it's a yeah. one-game thing or they're in the wild card, like you need it. Like, maybe you're, too, maybe you're thinking okay. that. Legitimately, Martin Maldonado or, and Jacob DeGrom's on the bump. 
are, are you not letting DeGrom swing it and DHing for Martin Maldonado? He's I'm having good. a conversation about too. it. DeGrom's fast. I know. I'm having oh, a conversation. Yeah. He's, about he's it. like the fastest player on the Mets. Like, yeah. like the, I'm serious. They've done his sprint speed. It's ridiculous. Jacob DeGrom, I got irrationally angry when he didn't win the, the Silver Slugger this year. Like, I was so upset about that. I'm like, he should have had the last Silver Slugger. Max Fried's numbers weren't as good. DeGrom did more in a short amount of time. And if you watch those starts, like there was games where DeGrom won the entire game himself, like Little League style. Yeah, Little he, League style. He drove in the only run, scored the only run, shut out the other team. Uh, yeah, it's it's ridiculous the season he just had. We had a real conversation on this podcast saying, should Jacob DeGrom still win the NL Cy Young after only throwing 92 innings? Because a 1.08 ERA he was absolutely untouchable. But where we're probably going to play GM is with these next three spots. Tywin Walker, Carlos Carrasco, Tyler McGill, and you can throw Ty David Lord. Peterson's name in there. Tyler, not Tyler, Tyler. Is, yeah, is it yeah. Tyler? And he just no. spells it like Tyler or is it Tyler? It's Tyler. I, I, I don't remember what his mom's explanation was, but like one of those, one of his debuts, she, she explained why he was Tyler, not Tyler. So but yeah, it is Tyler. Tyler. So Carlos Carrasco is not a 6.04 ERA guy. He's going to yeah. be better next year and should be the three in this rotation. But is Taiwan Walker a 4.5 ERA guy? Is Tyler McGill also a 4.5 ERA guy? And David Peterson is definitely worse. <laughs> but how do you think the starting rotation is going to stack up? Because I think that we should make a trade for a starter because you know, they could sign Carlos Rodon and, you know, maybe that would make sense for this team, but he's a guy who has injury concerns. And I don't want to add a guy who has injury concerns to this starting rotation, especially, but maybe Carlos Rodon does make sense. What do you think, Ryan? To me, the, the addition I've been pointing to for a while now is signing Zach Greinke. Uh, because I, I just think you need a high floor guy in this rotation. I feel like they have enough high ceiling guys. And Gricky's going to take the ball every fifth day. And, and you know what? He's going to give you a chance to win most days as well. I know he's, he's on, on the wrong side of his prime, absolutely. But I also think that something about adding him and his intellect in this rotation makes a lot of sense to me as well. Like the conversations him, Scherzer, and DeGrom can have about pitching um, and how they can even help some of the younger guys. But I look at Zach Grinke as an addition that just makes a lot of sense because He's going to take the ball for you. And I feel like, you know, you could sign a Rodon and then he could get hurt and you're in the exact same position you're in right now. And also I think to trade for like a Luis Castillo is going to cost so much for the Mets when I think there's still, you know, some hope that some of these other guys are going to pan out anyway. I agree. Arm, what do you think? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's tough because you look at, at the Mets system, it's so top heavy that, you know, you're going to struggle to get a deal done without parting with your, one of your main guys, right? Like I'm not trading Alvarez. I'm not trading Vientos and I'm not trading Beatty. Um, you could probably put something together, but is it going to be an impact arm? I don't know. Um, they're in a really interesting spot. They don't really have any prospects that are close to contributing at the big league level pitching wise. So they're, they're in a bit of a tough spot there. I'm probably looking for agency and going depth and just trying to, you know, stockpile a couple arms there. I like Granky because the health <laughs> and, you know, the, he, he gave us his best start uh, in the postseason. I mean, he was fantastic. Uh, I think there's definitely uh, still some, you know, some life left in there with him. And uh, I think he's a good veteran to add to the fold. So I came up with the trade. I like the Zach Granky setting, and we can definitely sign him if you don't like this trade. 
But I've just thought of J.D. Davis on the Rockies so much. And what if the Mets sent off Ronnie Mauricio and J.D. Davis and maybe a filler for Herman Marquez? Who says no? I think the Rockies would probably say no. Um, I would do that deal in a heartbeat. I've been trying to trade J.D. Davis since I started Locked On Mets. It's, I, it's, I, I cannot wait till he gets traded because I, I'm sick of watching those double clutches at third base. But, um, yeah, I would do that deal. I don't think the Rockies will. I think that's I, – I think the question I'd ask the two of you is, would you trade Jeff McNeil to add an arm? Because I think that's where they'll have to be if they really want to make an impact addition to their rotation. But what if you add like JT, JT Ginn or JT Ginn? Is it Ginn or Ginn? Ginn. Ginn. Not Ginn. They wouldn't do that? Ronnie Mauricio and JT? I've already forgot. Ginn or Ginn? Ginn. No way. Ginn. No way. I do the same thing. <laughs> they, they, they wouldn't do it? I don't. Is that that bad of a trade? I mean, Ronnie Mauricio is a very talented shortstop prospect. Ginn can be a rotation arm. And then JD Davis would probably hit 35 jacks for the Rockies. I, I don't. I think they're hanging up pretty quick. So because I, think I guess we're not trading because teams. you don't think. So how could we get a trade for Herman Marquez? Because we need to put JD Davis on the Rockies. You can't get Herman Marquez without trading Alvarez, Beatty, or Vientos. I think. And I don't want to do that to you, Ryan. No, no. I do want JD Davis in course, though. Yeah, right. <laughs> I want, I want to that. make that work. Can we force him over there? He would actually be the goat. I think. He yeah, I would. They got a reliever, right? Just send me any reliever. I don't even care if they're good. I'll trade J.D. Davis for just an arm. Austin Gomber. Done. (laughs) So maybe not Herman Marquez, but what about Ronnie Mauricio and J.D. Davis for Sonny Gray? Would that get it done? Closer, I would say. That's closer, I think. So would you rather do that or you'd rather sign Zach Greinke? I'd probably do that, but that's because I'm not that high on Mauricio. Yeah. Here's the thing, though. What if what if there's some players available at the deadline and That's like now you can I'm trading him. Yeah. <laughs> don't tell it, don't tell the other teams. Don't tell. Uh, but people like Mauricio, bro. We're looking at these prospect lists. Baseball America, fan graphs, they're all pulling teams and GMs and execs who are all saying you gotta have Mauricio in the middle of the top 100. I refuse yeah. to do that. I won't. Uh, but you know, like that. execs still believe in him, and you know, so there's value there. Uh I think it depends team to team, but wouldn't you like if you're mid season and you need to make a move and now guys are suddenly available and you traded Mauricio earlier in the year. Yeah. Like, do you, are you better off Mm. waiting for making a deal at some point in the middle of the season or are you better off just fronting the deal and doing it now? I think you're right. I think you're right. I I think they should wait. I think they should sign Zach Greinke and wait because you have enough arms like Tywin Walker had a great first half. Can he, if he's, can he replicate find that out. same first half? Exactly. Yeah, like Tyler find McGill out. is mm-hmm. even like, he can be an arm. Like he's kind of like Bailey Ober. He's just tall and yeah, he's tall and throws <laughs> the ball. Like he's all right. But like, no, I, I agree. Cause I think you're, you're like, it makes sense to make the deal, but because what if you trade Mauricio and then Taiwan's back to first half Taiwan and McGill's yeah. like decent. Then you're like, God damn it. We yeah. gave up our asset. So I want to see how these guys do. I'm skeptical, but I mean, if Taiwan Walker came out and kind of was good again and was between first and second half, would you be surprised Ryan or Peter? No. Right. Yeah. So I want to find out and then go from there, but I definitely think you got to add an arm. So I would definitely add Granky or who else? I mean, who else is there? You I'll, I'll tell you who is available. 
That's, that's, exactly not like that. that's a guy who you could sign, but he's probably going to be a multi-year guy. I'm, but then we're, we're dealing yeah. with the Mets. We're not dealing with payroll construction. Who, yeah, who cares? Spend whatever we want. So not, like, been, why not they, sign Carlos Rodon? Why they, the hell not? They've I, been I linked. <laughs> I was going to say all off season, they've been linked to Kikuchi all off season. That's been the name. So if you had to ask me the most likely thing to happen, I think it's, they're going to get Kikuchi, which is fine. They don't have a left playing GM. We're playing GM. So who would yeah. you rather sign Zach Rinke or you say Kikuchi to a multi-year deal? Cause more than likely Zach Rinke's only going to want a one-year deal, but is it going to be like 15 million for Zach Rinke? It shouldn't, but it might like one for 12, maybe. Should I don't like know. Eight. I, I'd be fine with it though. Again, you're playing with Steve Cohen's money here. So who cares? If it's a one-year deal for Grinky, that that's what I like the most because I think it just it keeps all your options open, and I, you know, I I trust that he's going to be able to take the ball for thirty starts, and I think that's what they should be signing for right now. Um, what do you think? Would you rather one-year Zach Grinky or multi-year for Yusei Kikuchi? I think Kikuchi I'm okay be- with multi-year Kikuchi. I think the upside's there. Like Kikuchi showed stretches last year where he was really good. Showed stretches where he was not great. Um. I think the upside's there, hard throwing lefty. I, I kind of like the idea of Kikuchi because worst case scenario, it's a couple year deal. You can move him to the bullpen if he's not pitching great and, and he's still effective. Again, as he had Steve Cohen's money, Granky's going to be a one year stop gap and he, he could run out of gas and, and suck. Like that's possible. Um, I think but Kikuchi no at his worst is going to be like a, a mid fours guy, which just gives you good depth. I think he could be better than that though. There's no lefties in this rotation. I think we got to go with you. I think you got to go. David Peterson is not, is not real. No. Or I mean, he, you know, he's he's quadruple A. Yeah. But he's a quadruple A arm. Like he's a guy who can fit in innings, you know, maybe throw in the bullpen. If you, if you're getting blown out or maybe you're blowing out a team, you never know. You're actually forgetting, you're forgetting the real fifth starter option here. You you forgot to mention again, when you mentioned the trade, Trevor Trevor Williams, Williams. he's still there. Damn it. I forget about Trevor Williams again. (laughs) Uh, Over under a hundred innings pitch for the mess this year. Um, I mean, the guy was good. He was good in was Pittsburgh good the and then was kind of good for the Mets last year. <laughs> and I, this is, this is one of my favorite stories is yeah, Trevor Williams was a Marlins farmhand, second round pick. And in 2015, the Marlins sniped a pitching coach from the pirates. Jim Benedict is the name. And the Pirates demanded compensation. I don't really know how that works. Like, couldn't they just be like, no, we're not compensating you? <laughs> For whatever reason, the Marlins said, all right, we'll, we'll give you Trevor Williams. So the Marlins traded Trevor Williams for a pitching coach who they then fired a year later. Um, so that's the Marlins. I bet you the Pirates asked for cash and they said, let me, let me give you a no, prospect. Here's our number six prospect player. at the time was their number six prospect, according to ESPN's Keith Law. Take him. We don't need pitching. And actually, this is when the Marlins needed pitching as bad as ever. This was the Stanton Yelich Marlins. Take them. We want that pitching coach really bad. So I just wanted to throw that one in there. Never hearing another word about how amazing this NL East is. I'm never hearing another word. I know the Braves are awesome and the Mets could have a really good year, but I mean, how much do we really believe in the Phillies? And then the Nationals could possibly be one of the worst teams in baseball this year. And we'll see what we get from the Marlins. And the Marlins are trading for pitching coaches. So let's talk about the bullpen because I think right now we just signed Yusei Kikuchi, but we're not also going to sign Zach Greinke because they do have plenty of arms. So it goes Jacob deGrom, Max Scherzer, Carlos Carrasco, Yusei Kikuchi, and Taiwan Walker. I mean, you could probably put Taiwan Walker above Yusei Kikuchi. I don't really care, but those are your five. That's a good rotation, Ryan. You like that one? 
really good rotation. It, it is. And and their depth isn't bad. If you do make that addition to Kukuchi, their depth's not bad with McGill, Peterson, Williams, uh, Arms Boy, Jordan Yamamoto still in the system as well. So that they have some they have some options. Love to be attached to that name. And the the bullpen is easy because there's about a trillion free agents still currently available on the reliever market. But they got Edwin Diaz, who Say what you want about Edwin Diaz. He had a 3-4-5 ERA last year, 32 saves through 62 innings, struck out 89. I was watching some pitching ninja stuff. You know, he's just going through some of the hardest fastballs last year at 103. Like, Edwin Diaz makes these lists. Like, Ooh. he there was a 95-mile-an-hour slider. That's things that have happened in baseball. Edwin Diaz might have some of the best stuff in the history of the game, but he's just privy to getting blown up sometimes. What's your relationship like with Edwin Diaz, Ryan? Well, the 2019 season was just an absolute train wreck. He's been pretty good the last two years, but 2019, he complained about the, the difference in the baseball and he wasn't able to grip his slider the same way. So maybe that led to some hanging pitches. Uh, and I think it's, I don't, I think sometimes the whole New York thing is overblown, but with a guy like Diaz, I feel like at times you watch him on the mound and you see him tightening up. Like you can just, just see it on his face. So I think that if we're going to address the bullpen, the question is, do the Mets just have to add some setup men for him, or should they be looking for a closer to, to knock him out of that role? Well, you have Trevor May who plays video games. <laughs> he does play video games. Um, you have Steph Lugo has a great curveball. And you have Miguel Castro. I like was, Castro a lot. Yeah, he was good last year. He throws hard, 27-year-old. He might be the, the setup guy. Or how do you – who – Rank these three, Miguel Castro, Seth Lugo, Trevor May. I'd say Trevor May. Really, you know what? You'd be surprised for me to say this. I'd actually put Castro last of the three. I'd probably say Trevor May, Seth Lugo, Miguel Castro. The one thing about Castro is there was a a little bit of a dip once the sticky substance ban came in Mm -hmm. last year. Mm -hmm. I don't know if that's going to continue. I mean, he did end up still having a pretty decent season altogether. But he, he, he reminds me of like Hansel Robles where it's just these guys with electric arms that still somehow get lit up and it doesn't make sense. And it's partially because they walk too many batters, but um, I think Seth Lugo, you know, if you remember him in 2019, there's still uh, you know, a really good relief pitcher in there. Um, and he's going to have contract year too. So I wouldn't be surprised if he put up a pretty good season. Um, what do you think about this? <laughs> yeah. I, I, it's funny. Cause I look at Castro. He's like a high three quarters guy that just snaps it. And I can see the sticky stuff affecting him there. I love him, though, as a seventh-inning guy. I think May is a great eighth-inning guy when he's on. He was a little bit up and down. And then don't sleep on Jose Budo. Yeah. Is it Budo, Budo, Budo? Budo, yeah. I think he could be up and actually help them next year. 40 innings in double A. He punched out 11 per nine. Uh, he's more of a starter right now. Uh, but that's a guy that I could see kind of going to the bullpen, has good swing and miss stuff. I could see the Mets kind of staying inside with some of the depth guys in there. And that gives you also rotational depth because you know, you can stretch them out. That's a name to really watch and follow. Uh, but on the bullpen side of things, you just got to go get that lefty. Right. And I know we, we, we get, we literally pimp out Andrew Chafin, but Chafin seems like a really good fit here, maybe as well as anywhere else. Um, and then any other really lefty that you can find out there, I think is, is a good fit. They need, they need a Southpaw uh, reliever though. Big, big, big time. I think Jake Diekman is a solid one from mm-hmm. Oakland. Um, last year, he's currently available. There's not a ton of lefty relievers. I mean, Brad there's guys like Daniel Norris, you know. Brad Hand is not a bad one. 
Andrew Miller, but like, do you want these guys? Because if I'm the Mets and I know they need a lefty, so we probably got to sign a lefty. Maybe Jake Diekman makes a lot of sense on like a one year deal. This is the team for Kenley Jansen. I mean, this is the team. They have the money. It would make sense that the Mets would give like a four year deal to a freaking reliever. And he was great last year. And he was he phenomenal. Will be good next yeah. year. Like no, I'm, not, he will. I'm not trying to make fun of it. I'm just we make fun of huge reliever contracts. But who's a team that has all Who the cares? money in the world and doesn't care? I mean, Stanley Jansen he... is like that guy. And then Edwin Diaz doesn't have to be the absolute closer. Well, you put Kenley Jansen in there. Edwin Diaz is set up, and you got Trevor May, Seth Lugo, Miguel Castro. That's a bullpen. You put Jake Diekman in there. It's good. Kenley Kenley has had this second wind in his career because he's gone more to the cutter, and and he's just. He's just improved his, his stuff and, and attack setter is a little bit different now. And, and that's kind of extended his career. He got some of his velo back. He was great last year. And the thing with Jansen is you talk about Edwin Diaz kind of tensing up in the moments and stuff like that. That's not going to happen with Kenley. Yes. He went through some rough patches, but overall, I mean, this, this guy is, is pitched on the biggest stage. He, he is a closer through and through. And if you have Diaz as your get out of jams guy, your eighth inning guy, who'll still mix in plenty of saves. And Jansen is your, your traditional closer. I mean, all of a sudden this bullpen turns into one that has as much upside as any in baseball. I mean, a may Diaz Jansen trio is pretty crazy with Castro mixed in there as well. And then whatever left he had in there, that's a pretty tough team uh, and a really good bullpen. And what I like is that Jansen has done a, as good of a job as ever at keeping the ball in the yard over the last two years. And that's a huge, huge thing, obviously, that they need in that bullpen. And he wouldn't be that expensive. I think you can get him for three years, 45, 50 range, maybe a little bit more. I, I think he really can be had for that. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I, I think Jansen is is a guy that they should be targeting. I'm not sure if they're going to go that route. Like, I could also see them overpaying for Chafin and just being the team that gets him because they want that lefty. Yeah. But I, I don't think that that's a problem either. I, I think – you know, the whole, the whole adding a lefty thing, though, if you're just telling me right now that you're going to be able to have Jansen, Diaz, May, Castro, Lugo, hell, even Drew Smith had a really good year last year. Who cares if you have a lefty? You know, you have guys that are, are – are, do you, though? I mean, you do, do you really? The matchups, you need a lefty. And, like, a guy like Jake Diekman is so cheap. I, I think know, like like do, who do you want? Do you want like a like an inferior lefty facing off against Freddie Freeman and Juan Soto, or do you want Edwin Diaz going up against them? I'd probably want the lefty instead of Edwin Diaz personally. Mm, I don't know. That's tough. But also, You're it wouldn't that... be used in the same situation. Edwin Diaz would be your ninth inning guy, and this lefty would probably come in in the sixth to get the final out. You know, to get to the seventh inning when Freddie Freeman is up. That's my thing. If you have if you have Jansen as your closer, you can pitch that when Diaz in the sixth inning to, to get get through the middle of the lineup if you really wanted to. But I don't know. I'm just saying, like to, to me, it's kind of crazy to think you'd rather see Jake Diekman face off against Freddie Freeman than than Edwin Diaz. But that's that's not what we're talking about here. I'm not talking about saying. who's better. I, I'm, I'm <laughs> saying that Jake Diekman that you need a lefty, and you're comparing him to like why get a lefty when we could just have Edwin Diaz. I'm just I'm just I, I was throwing it out there to you. Why do you need a lefty? And you said for those matchups. And I'm saying if you have enough really good arms, to me, I, I'm not as concerned about the lefty thing. Fair. Yeah, it's fair, but you need a lefty. I just really right, so get think- it's Steve Cohen's money. Get Jansen and Chafin. I don't care. Yeah, no, so no, but we're not going to get Jansen and Chafin. Most likely, that's not going to happen. Yeah, would yeah. you guys rather do Kenley Jansen and Jake Diekman, or would you rather do Chafin and then maybe another right-handed pitcher? Maybe bring Jack back Jerry's Familia. 
Jansen and Diekman. I mean, like to, to, to simplify things, right. Um, Kenley Jansen. Uh, yeah. Lefties hit Jansen better than righties. Righties hit 136 off of Jansen. Lefties hit 169 off of Jansen. So at the end of the day, everyone's getting dominated. Um, you know, I, I wonder if left on left, you know, what is Jake Diekman doing um, or, or even Chafin left on left? Is he better than that? Um, that's where I think sometimes, yeah, you could throw the platoon splits, you know, out to the wayside. I would rather just throw in a lefty there because you have some hitters that literally like the whole Reds lineup. It's, you're just better off throwing. It could be my grandma throwing with her left hand. Uh, but I think it's good to have one lefty mixed in there. But I'd, I, I'll give up an inferior lefty and get the best possible bullpen arm with Jansen for sure. Brian, what do you think? Would you rather do Chafin yeah. and a righty or Kenley and Jake Diekman? Yeah, I would rather get Kenley. I, I think that you're, especially again, with some of those concerns, like I'm still not 100% sold that Edwin Diaz uh, is the closer you want to make it through a postseason run. And Jansen's definitely that. So I think that would be the number one option I'm targeting. So let's go through the team. We did it, boys. I freaking, this team's kind of loaded with after what we, I mean, it's already good, but I think we, I think we brought it to another level. So at catcher, we're going to James Buchanan, Thomas Nito at first base. We're going with Pete Alonzo, the polar bear second base. Give me Jeff McNeil. We're not trading Jeff McNeil and he's not going to hit 250 again. He's going to hit 300. <laughs> Third base, we're going with Eduardo Escobar in a combination of J.D. Davis because we ended up not trading him to the Rockies, even though he could be the greatest Colorado Rocky of all time. In the outfield, oh, well, at shortstop, of course, you have Francisco Lindor, the $341 million man. In the outfield, you got Sterling Marte, Brandon Nemo, Mark Canna, and, and then rounding out the bench, you have Don Smith, Luis Giorme. And then starting rotation, we're going Jacob deGrom, Max Scherzer, Taiwan Walker, Carlos Carrasco, Yusei Kikuchi, rounding it out with Ty Lorne McGill and David Peterson. And then the bullpen, you got Kenley Jansen, Edwin Diaz, Trevor May, Seth Lugo, Miguel Castro, Drew Smith, and Jake Diekman. You could even throw Jake Reed in there as well as another guy. Or who was it? Who was the guy you said? Uh, Drew Smith. No, no, I said Drew Smith. Oh, uh, uh... Jose Budo. Yeah, oh, Jose Budo. That's Trevor guy. Williams. Trevor Williams. Uh, Trevor Williams. Williams. I forgot Jeez, forget him, man. You keep forgetting him. And we're dumping Dom Smith for prospects and, and adding Khalil Lee to the, to, the, to the active roster. There you go. I love or it. Or the winner of Plummer versus Lee. That, that's, that's what it is. Well, go check that, out. If you enjoyed all the Met stuff, go check out Ryan Wright's all of his Met stuff that he also does on Locked On Mets. He writes it on JustBaseball.com, and he's, of course, our managing editor. Anything you want to plug before we go? I think he just plugged it. That's it. I try my best. Arm, anything you got to say? Anything you're really um, angry about? Are you pissed about anything? I'm always angry about something. But um, I think you do it. Uh, great. That's one thing I'm not angry about. One I season. To get you happy and, for a and don't don't be mistaken. Ryan Finkelstein is a South Florida native who yep. roots for the Heat. He does not root for the Marlins because he's smart, but he is a he is, he is a he is a Heat fan. He was I, raised that way. His parents are smart. My well, dad's no, 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 no. My it's my dad just wasn't into basketball, so the Heat was the one sports choice I had. I was I was brought up ah. Mets Giants. I was allowed to root for the local team. Shaq comes into town when I'm like ten years old, and it's like, all right, well, I mean, come on. Yeah. Jack, was, I wish, Jack was already my favorite player. And uh, it's been it's been great to be a Heat fan and enjoy championships. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. 
I wish I was, I wish my dad wasn't a baseball fan. Then, you know, maybe I would have picked something better too. Uh, we but... wouldn't have had this company. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's yeah exactly. True. That's also true. So go get your Just Baseball merch in the episode link description. I'm rocking my Just Baseball team right now. And with that, thank you, everybody.